The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is your newscast for episode 212 for the week of May 24th. Uh, Alex, we are once again in your shed. And, and right now the dogs are, are peacefully laying at our feet. Yeah. You know, fingers we're, crossed that they will not make an appearance in this episode. We're, we're starting a trend here, Rob, both uh, recording in the shed and with uh, you know, having dogs present. So hopefully things go well. I mean, the most important thing is they will keep the, the, the mass of fans from pressing in around us as we record. Because it, it's very disruptive when, when everyone's screaming, oh, why are you autograph mm-hmm. the whole time. You know, also the, you know, the throng of wild animals. It'll keep, right. you know, all the bears and coyotes and everything yeah. away. Yeah. You know. Safety from it, from all the crazies. Exactly. Hey, speaking of crazies, we have a Slack channel where we have a roughly 1,900 people that are really the kind of the core of what we've built here with this community, this Colorado Equal Security community. Uh, if you're not a part of it, I highly recommend you, you join in and uh, you go out to our website to, to figure out how to join. We'd love to have you be a part of the group. We also have a mailing list, which is a much smaller subset of the core of the people that we've built uh, for Colorado Equal Security, but uh, a loyal following nonetheless, people who like to get the show notes delivered to them every week in their email. If you want to be part of that, go to the website and uh, add your email, and we will send you one email every week. Yeah, if you, so that if you've heard the concept of 100 true fans, yeah. like all it takes for a movement to be really successful is 100 true fans. Well, if you're one of the 100 true fans of Colorado Equal Security, you might be interested in knowing that we have a Patreon campaign where you could Ooh. financially support the show and, and help us keep moving. Um, I was thinking about like what I am a true fan of. Um, I There's a few bands that I really like, and one of the bands who I really enjoy is, is Blues Traveler. And they, they recently re-released three of their biggest hits from, like what, man, 30 years ago? The You, you know, like uh, Hook and... Um, run around these ones from from sure. forever ago on their four album. They re-released them as a like a 2.0 version, right? And I'm like, oh, I will I will buy them. They are the same thing as the original, like very slightly different. But I'm like, well, I haven't paid for this song in 30 years. I might as well give them another few dollars. And uh, there you go. That's one thing I'm a true fan of. That's nice, Rob. Uh, good to know. Uh, are you also part of the Blues Traveler Traveler uh, Patreon campaign? Um, I. I am by which I mean I pay to go to their shows whenever yeah. they're in town. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, those are some good announcements. One last announcement. Uh, we've, we're a couple weeks out now from the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. So if you haven't signed up, it would be awesome if you did that. Go to rmisc.org to see all of the details and to register there. Uh, we've got some great content. Uh, we've got several uh, wonderful keynotes, including a Colorado CISO panel. Uh, that you are not a part of, Rob, for the first time in several years. I'm also um, not a CISO. You're also not a CISO. <laughs> part I, of the reason you're not part of the panel. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got three uh, three days of content. It's going to be wonderful. Um, if you uh, are still hesitating to sign up because you think, oh, maybe I can't afford to sign up, uh, you know, why don't you jump on the Slack channel and, and hit me a message. I bet I could get you a discount code. Awesome. Uh, all right, let's jump into the news. This next one, this this article made it as much because of the origin story for this as anything else. Um, so nearly two years ago, uh, Erica, is it Fucht maybe? Um, she was working through every brand of natural deodorant on the market and none of them were working. So yeah. Erica Fucht stank. This is, <laughs> this is what I get. Her husband pleaded with her to keep trying and not go back to right. real deodorant. This is such a strange story. Yeah, well... You know, when I read this, I, I thought, well, of course, when you're using natural deodorant, it doesn't work because it's natural deodorant. Right. Um, that's sort of like using, you know, natural toothpaste or, uh, you know, anything else that, you know, says natural yeah. in it that, you know, probably doesn't work to the way that we would expect it to work. So uh, she she got so frustrated, she just slapped some hand sanitizer on her armpits. And apparently that worked. Have you ever been so frustrated? <laughs> You slap hand sanitizer in your armpits? Every day, Rob. Every day. Uh, I, I thought we were going to include this story because of the name of the company. Uh, the, the name of the product, it's called Pit Liquor. <laughs> it, 
<laughs> so. Of course, you know, there's a play on words there. This is liquor like a liquor you would drink, you know, yeah. c- coming from the alcohol and the hand sanitizer. It is spelled uh, like the liquor you would drink. Yep. Um, but it's a little it's a little questionable, <laughs> a little d- double entendre there. Just so you know, you should not lick someone's pits uh, well, I mean, in, in case you want them to stop stinking. If... Uh, so if if they are using whiskey as their as their deodorant, maybe oh, you should. Yeah, you know, maybe you should. Okay. So Never anyway, th- this new th- this is a Colorado based. Obviously, we're talking about it. It's a Colorado based company that is using some of the edible ingredients from whiskey to uh, or whiskey and vodka um, to make natural deodorant. Yeah. So I I would imagine that one of the main ingredients is alcohol to help kill whatever germs there are in your pits. Um, but they now have a, a line of several different flavors, including whiskey vanilla and coconut rum with lime. Yeah, they're, and they've they've been doing this since. Uh, well, they they started on uh, Kickstarter back in 2017, and they had twenty thousand dollars immediately from like five hundred backers. Um, and since then, uh, they during COVID, they actually made a little bit of a pivot. You know, just like everyone at the beginning of COVID, you know, we can't sell anything, but there's a big need for hand sanitizer. They they pivoted to that, but. Interestingly, they never sold hand sanitizer. They were just giving it away from their website. Yeah. Um, and, and it looks like that turned into a lot of new customers for them. Yeah, great marketing. And, uh, you know, their hope was that if they gave this away, then, you know, some of the people that they gave it away to would also buy their natural deodorant. And it, it seems to be working. Uh, another interesting fact on here, uh, they started using the crowdfunding website WeFunder uh, last year. And they, they used that that actually closed their round here this spring. And they gathered $550,000 from 660 investors to really fund the business and grow. And they, they're actually growing pretty well right now. Yeah, I didn't look into WeFunder specifically, but I believe that's one of the platforms where you can actually do crowdfunding, uh, crowd equity funding, right? You know, So the people that are investing are actually getting a part of the company right. as opposed to uh, you know, a Kickstarter or a right. GoFundMe or something like that where you're just getting a product. I yeah. think those people probably actually own part of the company. Yeah, it's pretty cool. awesome. So they're now up to a team of 16 employees, um, and they're they're growing really well. And it, it sounds like you know they may end up using WeFunder again in the future. They had such a positive experience. I think this is going to be a, a fun local company to get to to get to see grow. Yeah. Um, so if you want to try natural deodorant too, you should you should check out Pit Liquor. And if you want natural deodorant but you don't have the time to wait, just grab <laughs> some hand sanitizer. I, hey, this is not medical advice. <laughs> it's probably but a really we're bad not doctors. Idea. <laughs> Uh, we do not play one on TV. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, next, Red Rocks concerts are going to return to full capacity starting on June 21st, Rob. So this is this is awesome in that if you wanted to go to a show and uh, you couldn't get tickets, maybe now you can. Yeah. Um, it's not as awesome because I was looking forward to my 4th of July Blues Traveler concert being totally empty mm-hmm. as I sat in my, my lovely seats. But, uh, you know, I'm, I am excited to, to get to have more shows and more options. So pretty cool stuff. Do, do you know what the capacity of Red Rocks is when it's at full capacity? Um, you know, I do, Rob, because I've read this article. It's 9,545 people. And they were limited, I think, down to like 20% or something like that previously. Yeah, it was uh, 2,000-ish, maybe even a little, 1,500, something like that. Yeah, yeah so, pretty small. So very big difference. And obviously that, that will open up a whole lot more tickets. And if you're looking to get to a show, you know, this is probably a good time to look. Yeah, I mean, and there have been just generally more shows trickling out on the Red Rocks uh, schedule. So... I think you should keep an eye out for that as well. Uh, obviously, now I think there's going to be more potential for bigger shows because I think some people probably wouldn't want to come if it was only going to be 25%. So right. hopefully we'll have a, a full full show for uh, for Red Rocks this year. I actually I bought tickets to a Red Rocks concert for later this year as well. Which show are you going to? I'm going to go see uh, the Wu-Tang Clan ah. with, uh, playing with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, should be fun. Those are August different, 18th, different styles. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah, should yeah, be fun. Should be fun. Try to think of what um, uh, what one of the stand-up comics talks about. Wu Tang Clan is the uh, the kung fu rappers, something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think is a pretty funny way to summarize them. All right, moving along. We have an, uh, an article of a name cha- official name change of the Colorado uh, or excuse me, Denver neighborhood. Um, so long, Stapleton. And what is the, what's the new name? The, the new say. name is uh, called Central Park, which um, I think maybe they could have spent a little bit longer trying to come up with the name. But um, I guess it is sort of central and there's a lot of parks there. So it, I guess from that perspective, it makes sense. And, you know, there's, this has been a multi-year thing where, you know, that I, I don't know if we've just recently realized that the 100 plus year ago mayor of Denver, Stapleton, um, was a clan member or it's been known, but it's just become a bigger deal. I don't, I don't know which. 
Um, but you know, his name being associated with just about anything these days is getting a lot of pushback because of that. Um, I think he may have even been a clan leader, not just a member. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, this is kind of the culmination of that neighborhood saying that they did not want to be associated with that name and that that history. Um, and so, you know, really cool to know that you know the the city council said we're going to approve a change. The the citizens got to vote on what the change was going to be. And I now I, I need to click to remember what was the losing. Oh, it was Skyview or Skyline or something like that. Skyview sounds right. Neither of those names are particularly inspiring. However, um, Skyview. I, I have a feeling that neither Skyview nor Central Park will ever be in the Ku Klux Klan. So um, yeah. you're pretty safe in, in that regard in terms yeah. of ever having to rename because, uh, you know, not named after a person. And fortunately, the Stapleton Airport is long since been gone. So there's, yeah. there's not much more that has to be changed. Yeah, so uh, just make sure when you, you talk about uh, that area now, it is no longer Stapleton. It's now Central Park. All right. Uh, next, Boom Supersonic, which we've talked about um, several times on the, the podcast. They're making a, a new supersonic jetliner. Um, there was a, an interview here with, uh, I believe their CEO, talking about how their goal is to you know, make this travel available to everyone for as little as $100 per flight. Yeah, so this story caught my eye, not in one of our local Colorado resources, but this was a front page story on CNN's website. Um, and and the basically the idea here is this this is going to not only take over where the Concorde ended as, you know, supersonic travel to Europe, but they're saying, you know, there's no reason that this can't go everywhere in the, in the, in the world um, and that it can't do it for a very low cost, which... The, the very low cost is what blows my mind. Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure if they already have a, a contract in the works with uh, with Southwest or something like that uh, that they're trying to do these for 100 bucks. But uh, I mean, that would be pretty cool to be able to fly from you know New York to London in uh, a couple hours for 100 bucks. Yeah, and part of the article shows that you know first we set the goal, then we work backwards. They set the goal of being able to do these travel everywhere in the world for these low costs. Um, but then, okay, well, now that we know that's the goal, how do we work backwards from that? So right. the goal is that you can get anywhere in the world for $100. Um, and and you, you mentioned that, you know, maybe they have a deal with some companies already. They don't specifically say which airlines they have deals with, but they have pre-sold a whole bunch of these jets already. Yeah. Um, and just as a, a sidebar, they do talk a little bit about the Concorde in here. And I, I knew it was expensive to fly on the Concorde, but I don't think I realized how expensive it was. Um, Back in the 90s when the, the Concorde was flying, it cost around $12,000 in, in 90s dollars, which would be about $20,000 for a round trip today, yeah. which is pretty crazy. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, obviously it just, you limit it to a very small group of people. and For sure. And that group of people probably really appreciated it. Uh, one other thing that they talk about here is that um, airports also like the new boom planes uh, because they are going to be mm. smaller the, you know, you have these uh, jumbo size planes, the wide bodies like the 777 and the Airbus A380, which it's harder to, to get gates for. There's less gates that fit those. Uh, but the plan for the, the boom jet will be that it's going to be the same size as like a 737. So you could park it basically at any, any gate anywhere at any airport. Yeah, pretty awesome stuff. All right. Going from supersonic travel to a little, slightly slower travel, we have news from the iconic Pikes Peak Cog Railway. So there has been for well over a hundred years, right? A train that climbed since 1891, a train that climbs the side of Pikes Peak up to the, up to the summit. And it's been closed since uh, October of 2017. So almost four years, three and a half years. Um, and it just reopened after $100 million of repairs. Yeah, so uh, I think that, I mean, the number $100 million, uh, I think it tells a little bit, but when they say repairs, they basically rebuilt the track hmm. the entire way from scratch. Um, also bought uh, all brand new engines and cars. So this is essentially a brand new train just running the same path that it did before. Um, it was a lot of work, as you might imagine. Um, yeah. I think also... You know, some of it had to be done by hand because there were areas that they couldn't get machinery in there to, to help rebuild the track. So, I think, again, um, hard work. That's one of the reasons why it took so long as well. So this is somehow associated with, with uh, Anschutz, right? Yes. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, under the, the Broadmoor portfolio of, of properties down there in Colorado Springs. And so 
uh, yeah, the, the Anschutz uh, company put in a, some money to have this done. And there's also going to be a new visitor center at the top of Pikes Peak. Um, I don't know if folks have been to the top of Pikes Peak in the past, but that visitor center was nothing to write home about. Uh, so rebuilding that, and that's going to be open uh, in June. So the visitor center is not yet open, but the railway is open, right? Correct. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, pretty cool. Everybody go check it out. We should take a look. All right. Uh, what do we have next? Um, oh, this is a good story. So uh, I think we've talked about this as well. Ball Corp, you know, they have their new aluminum solo cups, I guess you can call them. The, uh, you know, you're, they're now silver instead of red, um, mm -hmm. but made of aluminum instead of plastic. Um, they started selling these at various places, including uh, CU Games and the new Ball Arena. Uh, but now they are available in all 50 states at major retailers. Yeah, so Kroger, Target, Albertson, CVS. Um, but most relevant to someone like me, it's on Amazon. And, <laughs> and, I, and I, was, I quickly went over to Amazon to see, well, what does this thing cost? <clears throat> and you could buy a package of, of 30 of these cups for $10. So, I mean, considering the fact that they are metal and you can reuse them and then they are, you know, the, the big selling point of them is they're 100% recyclable. Right. Um, you, you, there's no waste as you recycle these. Um, that's the big selling point. But, but the, uh, the idea that, um, that you can go get them for relatively cheap, um, they look pretty cool. I'm definitely looking to, to try some of these guys. Yeah, I, I have tried them at sporting events previously. I haven't bought any for the house, but, you know, they seem to work just like any other cup. Uh, I do like the recyclability. I think, you know, with plastic, obviously you can't recycle all of it and, you know, it degrades over time. So you only get some of it back with aluminum and you can basically reuse the entire piece of aluminum from the cup. And uh, they, Ball says that, you know, if you recycle one of those, it can be back in your hand as something new within 60 days. Does, uh, does it have the satisfying smash of like a can when you, when you, when you crumple it? It, it does. It does. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Uh, moving over to our next story. We're now coming into the security side of things. Um, this is a, an interesting story in the Denver Post. Headline is cybersecurity analysts, um, a pressing need for front range growing high tech industry. And this is this is really some interesting facts from Denver Post around how many jobs and how many job openings there are for security in Colorado. Yeah. And part of the article talks about a, a new boot camp that is opening in the area. Um, which it seems a little promotion-y there, but, um, you know, I guess that's kind of what got this story going. Um, you know, when this academy looked at, at Colorado, they, they saw, hey, there's a whole bunch of, uh, of unfilled jobs. Maybe we can help train people for those jobs. They say 30,000. Um, you know, who knows what, what that number actually means. But um, obviously we all know that there's a lot of cybersecurity jobs open in Colorado and um, definitely the need for, for people to fill them. Yeah, I, I will say that this article seemed like it was written by someone who doesn't understand the industry in that they say uh, there are 30,000 cybersecurity and coding jobs. They just lump those two things together right? as though as though maybe the same skill set works for both. Uh, but they do break it down. They say there's 17,271 cybersecurity jobs open in Colorado and 13,000 coding jobs. That also blows my mind that there's more security open recs than there are coding recs. Is yeah. that possible? I, I don't know. That does seem sort of weird. Seems, it seems upside down to me. Yeah. Um, but they then they say that there are, uh, just from the security perspective, I think they were saying that there were 72,000 jobs in the area, which seems awfully Again, high as well. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think the, the, the bottom line here is there's lots of opportunity. Uh, we need people. We need people trained. Uh, and, you know, hopefully whether this boot camp uh, does it or somebody else, we can help move in that direction. Yeah, I think the more training we have, the better. All right, so next we have a, a, a new release from uh, Logarithm and, and Zscaler, who are partnering partnering on a new web application, website access control um, partnership. Alex, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah, so this is sort of a, a two-way integration. Basically, you know, you can pull the Zscaler data into Logarithm, and then, you know, based on uh, some analytics and alerting, uh, you know, say you, you pull the you know, a website that someone accessed uh, from Zscaler, you know, Logarithm can uh, run analytics again it against it. Is this a bad thing? Is this a good thing? Um, is it against policy? You know, something like that. And then can uh, you know you can make a decision to push a rule back to Zscaler and say, yeah. okay, uh, we've decided you shouldn't be accessing this website. We're going to put this to the block list and and have that happen automatically. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, clearly high value, and and you, you want your sim to 
to have integrations with all of your other security tools. So I think that's a good one. And, and you're kind of pushing a little bit into automation, which I think leads us to our next Yeah, story. speaking of automation, we've got a blog post from Swimlane talking about why you need a true SOAR, uh, not just security operations. Yeah, so this was written by Cody Cornell, who is the founder and chief strategy officer. Cody moved over from CEO into this strategy role, what, like maybe 18 months ago or something. Um, and, and what I really like about it is, you know, he, you know, he talks about generally how we think of a SOAR from a improve your security operations perspective. But this article dives into um, how do you use these, this automation to actually improve your business outcomes? And, and what is it that you're trying to, to accomplish with your security practice that, that maybe a SOAR can help you do? Um, so, uh, you know, they go into to things like the ability to better support your remote, your remote workforce, um, the ability to make, uh, to help support this hybrid environment that we're going to have where a lot of people are remote and in the office and, and, and the better you have repeatable processes that are supported by technology, the better those folks who are not just across the cube from you are going to be able to integrate with these processes and, yeah. and really support the, the new way we're going to be working into the future. Yeah, and I think also you know, having a single sort of centralized place where you're you're working on this stuff as opposed to uh, you know multiple products and consoles yep. and things like that. If, if everyone's working out of the the, the centralized store, then you can you know much be much more streamlined and and uh, better operationally. Yeah, there's there's definitely a spectrum you know between how uh, in how process oriented can we be to get maximize efficiency and maximize. Um, you know, scalability and, and how free can we be to be innovative and, and move us in, you know, new directions as an organization. And, uh, and I, you know, I always, as a security guy, I'm always on the side of, of process and repeatability. And I think that's the part that SOAR really supports as your organization is maturing. For sure. All right. Uh, let's move on to our last article. This is a blog post from uh, Red Canary. This is one of their uh, de detection and response engineer posts talking about, uh, Tales from decrypt, ha ha yeah. ha ha. Um, differentiating between ransomware and ransomware decryptors. Yeah, until you said that out loud, I did not catch the <laughs> tales from the crypt type of a, a reference. Um, yeah, so this one, I, I, I love this. You know, it's going through the process of what do we see uh, on the system? And then as the kind of detective on the other end, this detection engineer has to decide, is this potentially bad? And you know, he sees what appears to be someone deleting all these restoremyfiles.txt files and, uh, and, uh, and going through, I'm sorry, there was a couple other um, things that they saw at the same time. But basically, it looked like it could be the, the behavior of a decryption tool, like maybe if you paid a ransomware right. ransomwarer for the decryption tool. But at the same time, you say, well, what if this? What if they're just you know hiding as a decryption tool instead of actually right. doing it? So yeah. it's How interesting you know the to think through that process. What does the difference look like? Yeah. What What does a uh, a legitimate tool? I guess a legitimate maybe a, an actual tool that's doing this thing. What does it look like versus what does something that's that's doing bad look like? Yeah. You know, and and maybe you know even if it is something that you want to be a decryptor, how do you know that it's not doing bad things as well? Yeah, that was an interesting point that. You know that, that one of the behaviors they saw in this tool was that it was doing a, a port scan, which was probably looking for SMB shares, which right. could be because we're looking for things to decrypt, or it could be we're looking for ways to get persistence in this environment, right? Yeah. So you know, even I, I would say, even if you know that you're paying for a decryptor, um, it's probably worthwhile to have you know to have forensics on that process anyway, because how do you know the bad guys aren't going and doing something else in your environment with the tool they just gave you? Yep. you know, they're obviously good at building <laughs> bad guy things, right? So yes. a great, good article. I think, you know, a lot of technical info that's worth going through in there. Yeah, check it out. So, all right, uh, that is the news. Uh, why don't we jump over to the Slack message of the week? Thanks to Andre Gaeta for supporting this endeavor that we have, um, promoting our, our Slack channel and the Colorado Equal Security. Uh, we pick one winner every week who has uh, posted something on Slack that we think is interesting or worthwhile. And uh, Andre provides them with the opportunity to get one thing out of the Colorado Equal Security Store. So uh, this week, uh, our winner is Michael Steffen. Congratulations, Michael. Uh, Michael works for Connect for Health Colorado, but he was posting about the fact that um, the Biden administration, because of COVID, has reopened the healthcare exchange for a short time period. Uh, so if you want to enroll in 
uh, low-cost, affordable health care, uh, that the Colorado Health Care Exchange is open right now uh, for you to do that. It's strange, right? Like, yeah. you know, normally it's once a year open enrollment. Correct. Like, due to the the kind of strange world we're living in right now, with high yeah. unemployment and the pandemic, they've, they've made the option to open it a second time during the year. I, I think that's pretty cool. Yep. Nice to know. I'm glad we can amplify that message. Yeah, and uh, thanks to Michael for posting that. Yeah, awesome. So we do have an announcement for next week, and we'll we'll post this in Slack as well. Uh, but we decided we, next week would want to do something a little bit different versus the normal Slack message of the week. We want you guys to nominate someone to be recognized. We want you to nominate someone who, um, as a community member, uses their time and skills to improve the Colorado security community. And we'll, uh, assuming we get some good feedback, we'll uh, we'll pick one member or one one person from that list of nominees to be rewarded and get an item from the store, and um, hopefully, you know, to tell the story of what cool stuff they're doing. Yeah, basically, you know, Rob and I are, are tired of picking out the messages ourselves, and we want someone else to, to tell us people that are doing good stuff. So. And and we want to reward the behavior that we want to see in the world, right? Exactly. All right, uh, let's jump over to upcoming events. As a reminder, we have a. Uh, we have a calendar of events on the website with things going out quite a bit into the future. But over the next two weeks, there's really only two events. I think Memorial Day is kind of putting the, the kibosh on, uh, sure. on lots of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, so first, ISC Squared Pikes Peak is doing their May meeting on May 26th. And on the 5th of June, ISSA Colorado Springs is starting their CIS, CISSP training. This is session one of six. And I just cannot strongly enough recommend if you're looking to get your CISSP, look into this training. They have great great quality uh, instructors and it's really affordable. Um, even if you're not a member of the chapter, it's affordable. I think if you join the chapter, it's, it's even better. Um, and, and I assume, I don't know, but I assume you can do virtual at this point, but um, take a look at it. Uh, I've had some folks who worked for me in the past attend their different trainings for um, Security Plus and CISSP and, and I've only had pos- positive feedback. Yeah. And uh, it is more than two weeks out, but we noted it earlier, Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference is coming up June 8th through 10th. So again, take a peek and register for that if you're interested. All right, let's jump over to jobs. Uh, you know, each week we try and identify 10 interesting jobs in the area. 10 of the, what do we say, 17,000 open right. op- open security jobs in Colorado. Next week, Rob, all 17,000. Yeah. So we'll do 10 now and we'll do the rest of them next week. Yep. Um, so starting off, we have the... Uh, the the Gates Gates Corporation CISO. So this was Sam Massiello's job. Sam recently posted on LinkedIn that he's moving on to uh, uh, to, to run security and, and technology for a law firm. Um, but uh, now his backfill at Gates is open. And if you're interested in that, I think this is a, a great job for one of the biggest and best known Colorado companies. Western Union is looking for a cybersecurity senior engineer for application defense. Sorry, that was a mouthful. Yeah, sure was. Zoom is hiring a security investigator. You get to investigate security. Ooh. Guild Education is looking for a senior information security analyst. Aegon is looking to hire a senior global security operations center analyst. Um, So Aegon, if you don't recognize that name, they are the parent company for Transamerica. A bunch of other insurance companies, too. NREL is looking for a chief cybersecurity engineer. Yeah, there was a number of postings from NREL, but that one seemed... uh, especially interesting. I don't know what a chief cybersecurity engineer does, but it sounds important. Uh, Bestow is hiring a senior information security analyst. Visa is looking for a senior cybersecurity engineer. T-Tech is hiring an information security engineer. And finally, Presidio is looking for an engineer in cyber cloud security. All right. Well, that takes us to the end of the news section. We do have a interview this week. Um, Mike Kalak, uh, formerly the CISO from Western Union, um, and, and I think, I haven't listened to the interview yet, but I think that in the interview he doesn't mention having a job, but he does now have a job. He's now the CISO for Paymentus, uh, and who I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to learning about more about Paymentus. Yeah. Anyway, he's our feature interview. Mike's just a great guy with you know many years at First Data and then Western Union. Looking forward to hearing this background interview. Should be good. Looking forward to it. All right, well, that is it for this week. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Chris Martinez, CISO at Digital Globe. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Hello, Colorado Equals Security. I'm Jason Jakes. I had the privilege of interviewing a well-known and long-standing member of the security community here in Colorado, Mike Kalak. Here's the interview. Enjoy.
Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Hey, there's a lot of different areas that we can get into, and I've got a lot of questions for you. But let's actually start. Um, let's start with your background. I, I'm curious where you're from. Yeah, I grew up in uh, a small town in uh, northeast Pennsylvania, sort of that Wilkes-Barre Scranton area, uh, where you know Scranton became famous through the office. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, a small town there. Um, one of four. I have two older sisters and a younger brother. Okay. Yeah. I was the first one to sort of venture out uh, when I went, when, uh, went away to college. Yeah. Uh, did, some did, are still there in the area. So growing up from there, did your family work for a paper selling company? No, <laughs> no, they didn't. My, uh, my dad was, uh, he, he was uh, sort of an inventor or uh, he started out as a draftsman. And uh, actually when I went away to college, he uh, ended up starting his own company. He was always in the uh, special design machine business. Okay. Um, and uh, he actually started his own uh, special machinery shop, uh, which which got quite big. Uh, I think at one time he was running a couple shifts of about two hundred employees. So. Oh wow! It was a nice nice business he built. Yeah, yeah. Is that business still going today? It is. It is. His partner and his partner's son, I believe, took it over and it's still going today. Okay. You never thought about getting into the family business? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think if the timing was a little bit different, maybe things would have changed, but I was sort of on my way into college and just wanting to get out of the small town and see what else was out there. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it sort of took off when I was already on my way out. So, yeah. Okay. So you left Scranton and -hmm. you went to college. Where'd you go to college again? So actually I I finished a two-year degree at a branch campus at Penn state in engineering program. Okay. And that's when I sat back and I was, I was really wanting to finish a four-year degree. Um, And a professor there at Penn state, uh, the branch campus in Wilkes-Barre actually suggested that he knew guy that was starting at the time, believe it or not, a telecom program at Texas A&M. Wow. So a friend of mine who was with me at Penn State who graduated high school with me, he and I went down to A&M and, uh, you know, there's a funny backstory to that. We flew People's Airline, if anybody remembers People's. I do uh, know. They actually took your payment on the plane. Wow. No, no kidding. <laughs> So it was $99 round trip. I'll never forget it. And you paid like, and like back then you were paying in cash. This was right. probably 1987 ish. Yeah. And uh, so uh, uh, went down to AM, loved the campus um, and ended up uh, going there for the next three years and finishing my four year degree in uh, engineering. I, I, I'm still fixated on this idea of paying on the plane. So what happens if you don't pay? Do they kick you off mid-flight? Sort of, sort of hold you uh, ransom, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah, it was like the flight attendant would have like a cart with um, a box and cash. Yeah. yeah. I vaguely yeah. remember it, but I, I do remember paying on on plane. You know, the, the funny thing is, I, I shouldn't say funny, um, like because of, of 9-11, you know, being now, I mean, that was that's 20 years ago. Uh, right. It's, it's funny to think back at, at like how, you know, I, I suppose how long ago that was, but uh, the world was so different relative to airports. Like you could just, you could just walk straight up to the gate and, and do whatever you wanted to do. So yeah, that business remember, model made sense. I remember, you know, even flying when I was younger or flying back to college at the time, where your family or your parents would come and sit at the gate with you, yeah, hang out until you took off. And now that's non-existent, right? Yeah, that's a world that a whole generation of 20-year-olds and, and younger will never know. Never know. Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of sad, but uh, yeah. it's the way the world is. Well, some good um, things came out of that. They don't have to allow you to smoke on the plane anymore yeah. <laughs> in the last 10 rows. Yeah. That was, that was a little weird. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you went to College Station, and you're you're now an Aggie. Right? Are you a football fan? Because that's a big football. Yeah, sport. absolutely. Um, I I tend to follow. 
uh, A&M football a little bit more than even Penn State okay. because I had that sort of that real yeah. campus experience there. Um, so it's been a it's been interesting to see what that's turned into with them moving into the SEC and yeah, it's really grown the program immensely. But I still like those days over Thanksgiving when we would play UT and yeah, them. That was that was those days are gone and it's unfortunate. Yeah, that, those were those were really big games. Um, a lot of excitement in the crowds. Yeah. Okay, so you went to school there at, at A&M, and then um, you got your degree, and right. then where? Where did your travels take you? Yeah, A&M did a great job of, uh, you know, bringing companies in. So um, back then, and this was like 1989, uh, there was a lot of activity around, even in Texas, you know, Texas Instruments was recruiting big. Uh, believe it or not, J.C. Penny. <laughs> I remember a lot of people going there. Um, some other, you know, larger companies. But uh, you know, I interviewed with uh, Hila Packard at the time, HP, and uh, it was uh, for a position out in California. It wasn't in Palo Alto; it was in San Jose, um, and it was a, uh, a telecom uh, program uh, that they had. Uh, they had a very large uh, telco uh, private network. Uh, internationally even. So uh, I actually got on with them uh, right after graduation and moved okay. to California, moved to the Bay Area. Wow. So your first actual job in tech was right out of college, yeah. going straight to uh, what ultimately became Silicon Valley, although probably at the time it was kind of the uh, the early beginnings of that. It was. It was still not the greatest place to start your career. No. <laughs> there was sort of it was the beginning of the haves and have nots. Let's just oh. get that right in the Bay Area. Okay. So it was a it was a difficult run, but it, it was uh it was fun. Um I actually uh had a friend of mine who uh was just graduated also that I went to high school with that was looking to do something and he moved out there with me. So okay. we, uh, we kind of uh moved in out there together and you know, got the apartment and yeah, started my career there. Yeah. How long were you out there working for HP, working in So California? HP, HP uh, was about, it was only a year, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people have experienced this when you come out of college, you sort of want to change the world quickly. Yeah. And you find out that a, an organization that's been around for a long, long time uh, that was, um, you know, sort sort of fifty thousand employees that you were just a number. So I ended up uh, following a, a a friend of mine who I was working with at HP that uh, went over to a voicemail manufacturer called Octel. Oh yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, Olson and Cohen was the OC in Octel. Okay, and uh, they were building voicemail at the time. This was a little bit of a pre-email. Uh, and, uh, when we were leaving voicemails for everyone (laughs) and and they were big into, uh, you know, enterprise voicemail, but also, uh, building a lot for the bell companies at the time. So a lot of the, a lot of the bell companies that you had your voicemail with at home was an octel behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and octel, if I remember right, they were either acquired by Nortel or Avaya. Uh, it was Avaya. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was a buy at the time and then, which, which ultimately turned into Lucent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So then, um, yeah, you, you really did start on kind of the, the telco side, um, or the, the, I guess the, I don't know, telephony side. Um, yeah. Octel was actually was one little step out of my, uh, standard, what I did a lot of, uh, where I did a lot of QA engineering, both on the software and the hardware side, which was kind okay. of fun. Yeah. Okay. And then from Octel, um, where where was the next stop? Yeah, this was an interesting step. <clears throat> so this was the step that actually got me to Denver. Um, okay. I was in uh, probably my fourth year in the Bay Area, four and a half years or so. Yeah. Um, and uh, out of the blue, I get a call from my manager who hired me at HP. 
Okay. Who I had lost track with for a, a year or so, maybe even more than two plus. And he said that he has this opportunity. He had been, he had moved to Denver and he had this opportunity with um, Macaw Cellular One. Okay. Uh, which I didn't know much about the, you know, the mobile cellular business at the time. But I was just about ready to get out of the Bay Area. It was kind of, uh, like I said earlier, it was weighing on me a little bit where uh, it was hard to, hard to start your career there. Yeah. So I, I uh, jumped on a plane, went out to uh, Denver for the first time ever, never been there, and uh, had a great uh, time. And, uh, and uh, I knew him for a while when I worked with him at HP. And... Uh, and accepted that role and then moved to Denver in, uh, in 93. Wow. And you've uh, never looked back. Have you been here the whole time? Have been here the whole time. Three kids later. <laughs> you are definitely a native. I've been here 20 years. I claim I'm a native. So you've been yeah, here longer. Yeah. So you can say you're a native. Yeah. I saw course fields being built when I got here. I saw the whole park meadows area being built out. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot. It's changed a lot. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So how for the did good. you all for the good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you get into security specifically? Like wh- where was that pivot? Yeah. Where did that sort of jump into? So, um, you know, I, I spent a couple of years at Macaw. Macaw ultimately got uh, bought by AT&T. Um, okay. I, I, I really didn't want to go back into uh, with AT&T or stay with AT&T or back into that big um, uh, company. And, but at the time I started looking and found first data, Okay, uh, went over to first data in, um, in 95, late 95 and started there running a lot of their telecom program, some infrastructure, took on network engineering after a while. But when I first started in 95, probably about 96 or so is when First Data bought a company called FFMC, First Financial Management Corp. And there was three companies under there and one of them was Western Union. It was really the target at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know much about Western Union other than sort of what they did, right? Money transfer while I was at First Data. But we owned them for nearly 10 years. And then in 2006, uh, when I was running a pretty sizable network engineering group at First Data, um, some of the telecom still, I built a lot of the call centers, some of the infrastructure stuff there. Um, First Data decided to spin Western Union off as its own company, actually its own company again, because they were one of the first, I think, 10 or so, or 40 on the Dow. They were one of the first yeah. ones ever. Yeah. Uh, so they became their uh, company again. I was, um, it was an interesting story here. I, I was, I, in my mind, I was staying with First Data. I had, I had a great uh, great job there, uh, great people. Um, but uh, I, I actually uh, had a friend of mine come into town and uh, I went to a, um, a Rockies game with him. And uh, sure enough, I sat one row behind one of the executive vice presidents of Western Union. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we got to talking and she said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm staying with First Data. I've got this running this network engineering group. And she said, well, why don't you come talk to me tomorrow? Um, I, I think I'd like you to come over to Western Union. So it, it's those kinds of things that yeah. you just can't make up, right? right. Um, that just happened sort of fate, right? Yeah. So I, I did that, um, and I met with her the next day, and uh, sure enough, uh, she had this position of their chief information security officer that they needed yeah. to fill. And you know, now this is sort of the end of 2006, right? So you can yeah. imagine back in 2006, that 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 role was not as <laughs> no, there weren't many. It wasn't very defined, right? We right. were still doing rack F on a mainframe as security, right? Yeah. Um, but I knew that I, I I knew some of the people that were moving over there. I knew that sort of my background, my leadership, 
what I was doing in the network space, I knew I could carry that over and take this on. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's when I accepted that role as their first CISO um, for Western Union. So it was, it was a great opportunity. Um, I, I, I had no idea what it would turn into at that time. I had no, yeah. absolutely no clue. And it, um, back in that time frame, it, it kind of seems like, at least to me, that that really was the early days of, of you know, that role, the CISO role. Um, who, who did you have to look towards or uh, talk with that had similar roles that you could learn from? Or, or were you just uh, kind of inventing the role as you went along? Yeah, I, I guess a little bit of both, right? Um, I remember taking on that role and thinking to myself, okay, I need to build an entire new network of people around me just to get my head wrapped around what are the important things, right? Um, When I came over, which this is um, sort of a lot of times happens with big spinoffs or uh, sort of divestitures, right? Is that the mother company, the mothership, uh, sort of keeps a lot of the, uh, say, a lot of the people, right? So we were, uh, when Western Union was there under the First Data umbrella, they were using all the shared services of First Data, right? So when I came over and took that role on, I was given, uh, I had four people, which one of them left almost instantaneously after. Uh, so I was, I, I had three people to run a global security program, right? Yeah. So uh, what I did was I really just focused on finding great people that had experience in specific areas that I I really wanted to move forward with, right? So I needed somebody to run or to figure out what we needed to do from a security operations center, right? So monitoring, logging. And, And, you know, at that point in time, it was just find people that, you know, even engaging with MSSPs and stuff just to get the program started. Right. And it was very global too. So I was hiring outside of the U S and finding people there and, and just bringing them on board. So it was more of, of, of building people around me than it was sort of me coming up to speed as fast on it. I, I think that was, okay. it. So I, yeah. I, 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 I learned more from, the people that are with me and the feedback that they're giving me then at that time, then setting the direction, right? right? The direction was set from what I was hearing from the people that I was bringing on. Yeah. That makes sense. How, how did you go about finding the right people? Yeah. Well, it, back then it was a little bit easier, right? But um, well, I, I, I don't know if it was that much easier because, because the, 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 the skill set really wasn't there yet. Yeah. So what I relied on was a little bit more from um, skill sets in network engineering, skill sets in, you know, Microsoft and infrastructure backgrounds that knew somewhat around the security side, right? Yeah. Uh, and, And really at that time, it was all about operational, you know, it wasn't this, sort of risk management, governance, policy, right? Um, we were taking paper signed requests for access, right? So none of this was automated at the time. So it was really sort of just uh, running it from an operational perspective and making sure that we were covering what we needed to cover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then um, you built that, so it, it started as like three people, like you're mentioning, right. and you you ended up building a pretty large, significant team. Uh, I think you you told me in the past, although I don't remember how big it was. Um, what was kind of the the biggest it, it got to at, at one point? Yeah, the largest it, uh, the team got was probably uh, somewhere in the 130 range. Okay, um, that probably. Yeah, I, I, we never really truly uh, brought a hundred percent of the the sock in house. We, we kind of went through cycles there where we had 
MSSP. Then we did some staff aug. Uh, but yeah, the 130 was global 24 seven. So, so I'm curious your opinion on this. I've, I've wondered sometimes what really is more difficult for large organizations or small organizations. So large organizations have a much bigger attack surface and more people, but more resources and again more people to to uh, you know help with uh, with mitigating risk and, and security in general. Um, smaller organizations don't have that. Less people, smaller attack surface. Like, what really is more difficult from your your standpoint? Yeah, I, I would sort of argue that maybe some of these smaller companies that I see now, the attack surface is maybe not that small. Yeah. Um, you look at fair. some of these online trading platforms, mm-hmm. um, you know, take a Robinhood, for example, right? Um, that attack surface must be large, right? Um, you know, I, I managed an online platform, including a mobile app that moved, could take a credit card, a not, uh, you know, an online credit card and turn it into cash anywhere in the world in minutes, right? So the, that attack surface was huge. Um, but uh, I, I would say that in, in some cases, I think it more is about the sort of the business you're in and, and that equates more to the attack surface than what what the size of the company is i guess yeah that's that's definitely fair um what are some lessons learned possibly um the hard way because i don't don't know about you but i learn a lot of lessons from failure (laughs) i learned what not to do Um, what are some lessons learned that you experienced in your you know your your time as CISO that you think back and you, you're like, oh, I would never do that again, but glad <laughs> I learned that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, one that comes to mind is trying to build out <clears throat> certain things that um, maybe you, uh, let me put it a different way. I guess building out things that probably weren't that valuable to the company, mm, right? Okay. So uh, trying to build out a full seven by 24, 365 security operations center uh, within an organization like that really maybe doesn't make sense for the company as a whole. When there's other organizations that are good at that, go use those type of services, right? Um, because trying to keep those people on board, trying to keep their skill sets up and keep them motivated and not burned out was difficult, right? Um, I, I would say another lesson learned was uh, tr- try not to uh, sort of what I say is get wrapped around the axle uh, too quickly on what you're seeing from an attack surface, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's almost got to a point where, you know, I, I had the realization that, look, this, this, this is going to be constant. This is not going to stop, but you're doing everything you can to sort of control it. Because in my mind, so, sort of my engineering background would kick in and say, okay, this is sort of a, this is a one or a zero, right? It's, 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 it's an on or off and I've got to stop it. But in, in, in the space that I was in, there's, there was no stopping it. It was more controlling it. So you had to be comfortable with just this controlled environment versus completely stopping it. So that was a learning experience that you have over time. Cause when I first started, I was like, Oh my God, I got to stop all this. Yeah. What's some of the uh, the fun things about being a CISO in the early days that you really enjoyed that uh, made you realize, I-, I like this job. This is for me. Yeah, I, I think um, that that was definitely what drove me uh, sort of into the office every day. And what excited me was, was that challenge of how much control I could put around that, right? How much... Yeah. 
how much could I bring together? But, you know, also uh, a lot of it was just, again, going back to building that group up that really, uh, really excited me throughout my you know, years there was just building out the skill sets and watching sort of this whole area of cybersecurity or security change over time where, you know, like I said, it was started very operationally in the beginning, but then knew that years into it, I need to start building out a governance, a risk, a compliance group, right? I can remember sitting there a year into, um, uh, into my role when I moved over into that CISO role and uh, thinking, who, who has this PCI compliance and who's running this? Is the compliance group doing that? And just grabbing that and running with it, right? So um, it, it was interesting and, and bringing people on that knew more about that, but really building that team out was something I really, truly enjoyed. Yeah, very cool. So you have since left Western Union and yeah. now you are, um, can you talk about what you're, what you're going to be doing? Or I know you're doing v, VCSO. Yeah, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm looking into some of that. I'm doing some of that uh, virtual CISO work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm sort of taking some time to work through in my mind, you know, what's next. Um, it's interesting from a, from a virtual CISO perspective, it's a little bit more on the consulting side, I would say. Um, and, and I, I, I'm sort of working through that right now to make sure that that's for me. Yeah. I and mean, that's a big difference. It's, it's a totally different, <clears throat> you would think it would be almost the same, um, from being in that CISO seat, but it's, 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 it, definitely is uh, sort of a, a 180 from from where I was. So just making sure that that's what I want to do. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I go back to building teams. I, I would love to find something right now that uh, would let me build something again from scratch. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of those lessons learned would come into play on that one too. Um, you know, and, and, and understanding what sort of vertical I want to play in also, um, you know, I've been in financial services for a long time with first data and Western union. So, uh, we'll see what's next. I'm really excited. I, the one thing that, uh, I definitely sort of set my mind to was to stay in the Denver market, which has been just the, the community here and, and not, not only just the CISO community, but also sort of the entire IT community, it, it's been unbelievable. Uh, when I first started reaching out to some of my connections and, and, and those connections made me more connections, right? As, as you get through this process. And, and it, it was unbelievable how open this IT community is in Colorado. Um, I, I don't think you'd ever get this in sort of a New York city or San Francisco or, um, some other places, um, but just willing to help. I mean, people, right. I would just meet on a call for the first time ever, and we'd have such a great discussion um, just around technology and where it's going and what I wanted to do and, and, um, and, and just so helpful. Um, it's, a, it's a really great community here in, in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um that's that's one of the things that I like best about uh, about us here in our isolated pocket of Colorado. Yeah, uh, it it is a small community, yet it's big too. It's 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 oh, a yeah. kind of dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I've learned over the last couple of months is there is a lot going on in yeah. in this uh, in 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 IT in Colorado, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, yeah. I wish it actually got a little bit more notoriety uh, even within Colorado or nationally yeah. because there are some fantastic companies, uh, small, medium, and large that are happening here in Colorado uh, that are doing some incredible things. Uh, but I, I don't think the publicity or the notoriety is there just yet. Yeah. Uh, but nice. when you start digging in and, and start sort of looking around and meeting other people, and seeing what they're doing, it's an incredible community. Yeah, yeah. 
So nothing has ever um, attracted you to go back to California or Texas or even Pennsylvania. You've, you've stayed here <laughs> in Colorado. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what have, what are some of the hobbies that you've picked up living here? Yeah. I, I, I've told a couple of people just recently that I've been here for, you know, over 20 some years now. And, and I think I skied once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I've been a, I've been a golf nut for a long, long time. So, uh, that's my, that's my getaway. Yeah. I'm trying to spin that up for the Colorado Equal Security community. There's a golf channel in Slack. So here we go. Feel free to join anytime. I'm in. Um, I'm in. What are some uh what are some final thoughts you might have for the community? Um it, and again, you you come from a very interesting um um per, you have a very interesting perspective, I should say, in that you have built one of the largest really security um, groups here in, in Colorado, you know, as, as like a lot of people within the community are looking for advice that might be in a similar role um, as, as you were, you know, what, I guess, what things can you share to the community? What advice might you give? Um, Do you have any final thoughts for uh, the community as a whole? Uh, Yeah, I guess what comes to mind is, you know, if, if you're looking, if you're on that fence line of looking to get into, you know, this CISO role, um, and, and again, we go back to our discussions around, you know, what industry it might be in or how big it might be or how small it might be. Um, I would say, and this is probably not the first person ever saying this, but don't try to solve everything with technology. Yeah. You know, um, there's, 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 sort of people behind this, uh, there's process and policy behind this. Um, you really have to sort of think about it in that risk-based approach and really truly understand what's that risk appetite of the company and, and don't try to put a, a box with flashing lights in front of everything to solve what we're up against. That's great advice. Uh, there, there's definitely some great technology out there. Don't get me wrong. And some of it has to be there. Um, but I think sometimes, uh, how do they say, uh, if technology, you know, was a nail, everything is a hammer or something like that. Right. right. I probably got that completely backwards, but you know what I mean? Like, yep. uh, don't, don't continually look to technology to solve all the problems. Yeah. There's, there's a, a, a person in a, in a process and a procedure behind a lot of this that really needs to be tweaked and, and looked at what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that analogy because um, I like to tell people I've got 500 tools in my tool belt. So they're, they're not just a hammer. Uh, right. you, can't, you can't go after everything with a hammer. Yeah. Everything's on a nail, right? Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that's, that's definitely fantastic advice. Uh, how do people find and follow you on social media? Uh, I, I'm not a big social media guy. <laughs> uh, I'm out there on LinkedIn. You can find okay. me there for sure. Uh, yeah. that's, that's not a problem. And, uh, but you'll see me around, uh, yep. things like this and, and other, other events. So, uh, I, I hope to, uh, hope to run into a lot of people soon that yeah. we, now that we could, uh, sort of, uh, start seeing each other face to face and shaking hands. Now that the world feels like it's opening up again. So yeah, yeah. We could only hope. Yeah. That's the direction. Well, this has been great, Mike. I'm I'm glad you got um the uh I'm glad we finally did this actually, since this was on our calendar for over a year. <laughs> I know. It, it has been a long time. We we were supposed to do this interview right as the world closed about a year ago. And um we finally made it happen. Yeah, I, I appreciate uh you doing this. I, I think it was great. I I'm glad you didn't sort of quiz me on, you know, cryptocurrency or uh, something. Really I came hard. really close actually <laughs> to asking you your thoughts on on crypto coins and, and whatnot, but I held that back. Uh, yeah, you were you were kind. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Well, again, thanks a lot, Mike. And um, yeah, anytime if you need any help from the community, feel free to reach out. We're we're around. Always happy right. to help. And um, and. You know, we'll uh, we'll see you around.
Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. That concludes my interview with Mike Kalak. Be sure to follow and support Colorado Equal Security on Patreon. This is Jason Jake saying be safe out there. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equal Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.